You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 16, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Uh... Every day is a good day to be alive, Mike. I do, however, have to issue an apology to the good people of Twitter.com and those of you who follow me, follow my work. As you know, I offer many a jersey take. Uh, I'm very big into the aesthetics of both college and NFL football. For example, I have the correct take regarding Kelly Green, which is that it is a nice alternate, but it should not be considered a main color for a 2018 professional football team. (laughs) However, I misled you. And I, I deceived you. And for that, uh, I will read a prepared statement uh, from the desk of Benjamin Solak. Mm. These Titans uniforms suck. <laughs> they are the worst. Holy crap, they're bad. I thought that there was something redeeming about them when I first saw them. I said the powder blue ones were garbage, which uh, they wore the powder blue ones against the Dolphins and they were garbage. But I said, oh, the dark blue ones and like, you know, the gray color scheme. I don't hate it. I think it will be okay. Turns out it is not. This was my prepared statement that I definitely wrote down. Sincerely and in grave regret, Benjamin Solak. You know, I watched the 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 Jaguars game and they had that powder blue and they have the white numbers and the sun is hitting them in the back. I can't read a doggone thing. It's terrible. I can't read the numbers. They look bad. Like everything about it is awful. I thought potentially the shoulder saber like the sword detailing on the shoulders would look like kind of cool and it looks (laughs) awful i had too much belief in the ability of nfl teams to hire anybody who can look at anything and decide that it will actually look good 
Yeah, you're terrible. I am a very cynical person, and I did not like them when they revealed them. And I would like to uh, right. pat myself on the on the back. That one worked out for me. So never trust anyone, Ben. That's your lesson for today. Wow. All right. Good start to the podcast. Welcome to uh, you know nice happy sounds. Now we're gonna tell you how we know everything there is to know about football. Never trust anyone. And yeah, we're gonna start by telling you everything we know about football by telling you about the injury report that dropped on Wednesday. We're recording Wednesday night. Uh, We'll keep you updated with these reports as they come as uh, up to date as we can. But this is what we know as of the Wednesday report. So we'll start with the Eagles. What we're going to do later on after we get through this injury report is obviously we're going to be previewing this game between the 2-1 AFC South leaders, Tennessee Titans, and the 2-1 NFC East leading Philadelphia Eagles defending Super Bowl champions don't know if you know that, but we're going to be previewing the Tennessee Titans offense against the Philadelphia Eagles defense, and then tomorrow we'll do it, we'll flip it, and it'll be the Eagles offense against the Titans defense. So for right now, we got to get to the injury report for the Eagles. Did not participate. Jay Ajayi dealing with his back there in Sproles, uh, Rodney McLeod, and Michael Bennett. Now, Ajayi was seen running in like a separate part of the facility or whatever. Doug says him and Sproles are feeling well. Uh, it was an expected rest day for both of them that I don't read too much into today, Thursday, as this drops, will be more telling. Don't freak out over Michael Bennett. He had a sick day, some sort of illness. I don't expect that to impact his status for Sunday. Rodney McLeod mm-hmm. is the big one. There's buzz that his knee injury could cause him to miss multiple games. Doug has said that he's waiting for one more test, which I'll tell you, Ben, that sounds kind of uh, ominous and foreboding uh, to me, despite McLeod saying that he's feeling fine. If McLeod goes down, that means... More snaps for Corey Graham. That's not fun. And potentially snaps for DeAndre Hall, the safety that they traded the Bears for. Uh, He only had six special team snaps last week. Or they'll supplant their three safety packages that they've really used a lot this year with more nickel and dime packages, which doesn't sound so bad to me if you're getting Sidney Jones and then Rasul Douglas on the field a little bit more. Ben McLeod has been playing really well, man. And this is a yeah. big bummer if he's out for some significant time. And you want to know what the biggest bummer part of it is? It isn't even that there's less McLeod, Mike. It's that there's more Corey Graham. Correct. <laughs> Corey Graham is probably the worst active defender on the Eagles roster. Oh, for sure. Right? Undrafted free agent Brooke, Bruce Hector probably just causes less problems in general than Corey Graham. Corey Graham isn't good. It's just that Corey Graham is just... May I, I, even the idea that he's a reliable veteran who knows where he's going. He gets misaligned and he misses assignments a lot. Yeah, I don't get it. No, McLeod pretty much forces you to play Jenkins in the box exclusively, which then leads you to have Corey Graham up at the top all the time, mm. which is going to mean that your corners are going to play probably a little bit more off a la the, uh, the Buccaneers game, and you're going to really struggle to cover the intermediate levels of the field. Yeah. That's what I would anticipate. Like you don't have the duplicity to, or the, the, the variability to move around your, your safeties and to spin them and to rotate them and to switch their positions. You can run less, uh, unique style coverages. We've talked about the inverted cover two and the cover two traps that we'd like to see from Philadelphia. You lose this because yeah. McLeod's been really giving you some cool versatility that you did not expect, uh, that you didn't regularly see, you know, coming from, uh, Ronnie McLeod in years past. And so it'd be a big bummer. Obviously McLeod is an impact player, but also, 
Safety depth was a concern, Mike, when we were talking about the draft, man. Like, you know, the Eagles were bringing in Saran Neal and Justin Reed. We thought they could potentially take that late day two, early day three safety to provide some better depth. They they went with Trey Sullivan in camp. Sullivan didn't show them enough as to uh, stave off the signing of Corey Graham. And now you're looking at Sullivan potentially being active, and that's not a good situation for anybody. So, man, McLeod is a big one. Yeah, and I will say I like DeAndre Hall. I like what what I've seen from his tape. He's a, a converted cornerback. Uh, he just has off the field issues that he has not been able to figure out. And you know, coming to the Eagles, he already had a one game suspension that he had to serve before we could put him on the active That's roster. True. I do mm-hmm. want to see some of him to see if there's something there because I think the on field talent uh, is definitely there. So be interesting. Be interesting to see if we work him in a little bit more. I really hope McLeod doesn't miss significant time. You see him a lot, man, and he just flashes onto the screen and you get Corey Graham on there and it's more like a slow pan and you see him just kind of like out there in space. So I really don't want to see more of Corey Graham. I hope they play more nickel if that's the case. Get Sidney Jones out there. And uh, oh my God. Anyway, let's move over to the Titans injury report. We have did not participate. This is a long one, Ben. Did not participate. Kicker Ryan Suckup, that's a good start. He's dealing with a left knee, also bad for a kicker. Wide receiver Richard Matthews had some personal issues. Tackle Dennis Kelly had an illness. It's called being bad at football. Blaine Gabbert is in concussion protocol. Get that! (laughs) What's up? (laughs) Running back. Yeah, chirping Brad Kelly. Traded for Doriel Green Beckham. Let's get him. Marcus Johnson, revenge game last week. Tackle for loss. Dennis Kelly, revenge game this week. Not even going to play. David Fluellen is dealing with a groin. Not Fluellen. I don't know. <laughs> then you have limited participation. Kamale Correa, the linebacker they just traded for from the Ravens. He's dealing with a back issue. Full participation. Back is Marcus Mariota dealing with those funky nerves with the elbow injury that are reportedly making his two bottom fingers that he uses to grip the ball go numb which that ain't great uh-huh. hopefully he's got feeling back in those jack conklin's dealing with a knee but he's back full time he hasn't played yet this season he would be a definite upgrade safety kendrick lewis practicing full they're kind of beat up uh and, and they've been taking it easy with rookie edge rusher and terrorizer harold landry with his ankle that he entered the season when he played 27 snaps against the Jags, we could see more of him on Sunday. Obviously, the headliner in this bunch is Mar- Mariota. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and forth between Mariota and Mariota. Even Mariota messes that up himself. I know there are very uh, vocal people about the pronunciation of his name, which is supposed to be Mariota, but whatever. Anyway, this guy has 6.0 yards per attempt. He has zero touchdowns, two interceptions for a team that hasn't eclipsed 20 points in all three weeks. How do we feel about this, Ben? Uh, Injury-wise, from what I understand, uh, Mariota is expected to make the start. Jack Conklin is expected to make the start uh, for the first time, which will take Dennis Kelly off the field, regardless of whether or not Kelly is healthy. Right. And also, uh, Ryan Suckup, Matt Vrabel was... Uh, just making like jokes about it in pressers today. He was like, "Oh yeah, like Suckup's old." You know, like he's like from what I understand it's not a it's not something they're super worried about. I will say Paul Kuharski had uh, a release out today, uh, a Titans uh, famous Titans beat, which that it seems Rashard Matthews is just, you know, he got injured, he was injured in camp. He it was his position with the team was already tenuous. He was missing practice day for personal reasons. It seems that Matthews is just like gone. Like they don't they don't expect Matthews who gave them 31 31 snaps in week 3. They expect Matthews to no longer be uh, with the team. So you're looking at 
Taewon Taylor, who has earned more reps. Yeah. Uh, he, he had no snaps in week one, and then he's had about 30 or so snaps in the past two weeks, uh, along with Tajay Sharp and Corey Davis as your three wide receivers. Looks like no Rashard Matthews uh, moving forward. Yeah, and Taiwan Taylor has definitely earned some of those reps, so it's really not a big loss for them, but any hit to this offense is is a hit. And as we transition into this uh, previewing the Titans offense against the Eagles defense, Ben, uh, this offense makes me a little angry. Yeah, so let's talk about this, because <laughs> you are pissed off at a Matt LaFleur offense that, to me, is pretty Kyle Shanahan-y. I don't understand what what you don't like. It's it's not really the construction of the offense from a schematic standpoint, other than maybe an over-reliance on, on the power run and putting themselves in tough boxes in the running game. Watching this offense takes a lot of patience for me because, and I've drafted an email to Edge Analytics as I collect these things, but the cowardice that they've shown on fourth down in enemy territory since their QB situation has become unstable has been unbearable regardless of the circumstance. And speaking of unbearable, 66% runs on first and 10, 66%, and they aren't having success with it. They lead the league in run percentage. And why is that? So you say, okay, well, Blaine Gabbert and whatnot, that's fine. The run isn't working. The pass, even with Gabbert and Mariota with one hand, is still going to put you in a better situation to win. And yeah, it might have to be like the short stuff, but but good. Spread it out. Get Deion Lewis more involved in the passing game on first down, which they haven't done. That's my main issue, this, at least the scheme of it. Get him one-on-one with a linebacker. Throw it seven yards down the field. See how life treats you after that. Because if they try to do that, and they actually done it a couple of times, and it's worked. And this is what will work for them going forward. And not slamming poor, poor Derrick Henry into eight and nine-man boxes. The NFL doesn't work that way anymore. Just the stubbornness and cowardice is unbelievable, Ben. And people are making excuses for for Mariota and the play calling in the Jaguars game. Mariota was fine in that first half. Yeah. He can't push the ball vertically. There's a lot of quarterbacks in the league that can't do that either, and and offenses find a way to work around it. They don't go to 66% run. He had three drives out of four where his receivers dropped well-placed balls in the first half. And then in the two-minute warning, they suddenly decide they're going to slow things down and settle for a field goal that they missed, which quite frankly, they deserve to miss. And yeah, cool, escape with the W. But how much game-winning chance are they leaking on these decisions? How much are they just giving away when in the third quarter, up three, fourth and one, on the Jaguars 45, you line up and you take a delay of game on a fourth and one? You don't have to pass there. That's not about Mariota. Go three wide, pick a side, run Henry up the gut and let him lean forward for three yards. That has nothing to do with Mariota. And he's still a run through it, which by the way, if they were so concerned with Mariota, so much so that they dressed him and put him in when Gabbert got murdered and then ran read option with him. And yeah, that's the best part of this offense right now. Mariota running. That's the biggest threat. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could express to you the frustration in which I have with this offense. It's, and it, it's not about being aggressive downfield, which they can't be right now. I give a full pass for that. It's cowardly decisions in key moments that lose you the game. And just because the Jaguars had one of their predictable stinkers and the defense played well for the Titans does not excuse just pure cowardice in regard to decision making on offense. As a Philadelphia Eagles fan that appreciate coaches with big balls, right. Vrabel 
ain't it for me right now. And he should shoot his game script that was supposed to change so drastically with Matt LaFleur coming in and him coming in. Shoot it into the sun. 66% of the time on first down. Is this 1980? Is Ronald Reagan president? These things are not working in the NFL anymore. The analytics would tell them such, and they have the analytics company in building. They hired Edge Analytics to tell them this was stupid, and they continue to be stupid. So until they prove otherwise, this offense is just going to continue to piss me off, Ben. Right. This is, I love this because this is the kind of the different style of stuff that we bring to the podcast that makes it good. Because you're there going, man, why are they running on first and 10, 60% of the time? Game winning chance is bad. I'm over here going, ah, oh, you see when they're working that outside zone on first and 10, he's just trying to set up the little levels, fall around the naked bootleg on the backside. Like it's, <laughs> it's, you know, oh man, like he's working all these reduced splits and he's faking crackback blocks so he can get those releases into the flats so and give easy throws to Mariota. Like, well, like have fun running your bootleg on second and nine because that's what you're getting. Right. No, no. I get, I get wrapped up in the design of it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the, which is fair. The, so Matt LaFleur is, Matt LaFleur, LaFleur. is the, uh, the offensive, oh, I'm going to do that all week. Matt LaFleur. <laughs> is the offensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans. Now, you may remember Matt LeFleur's name because he <laughs> received a lot of buzz in the offseason because he was Sean McVay's offensive coordinator in Los Angeles this past 2017 season. How did McVay know him? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, LeFleur was the quarterback's <laughs> coach in Washington from 2010 to 2013, which are the exact same years uh, that Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator there. Right. Uh, Shanahan went to Cleveland for one year, and LeFleur ended up in Notre Dame. And then when Shanahan went back to become offensive coordinator of the Falcons, for <laughs> dang it, dang it! You held it, you held it so much. You held it so much. I was dying. When, uh, I had you on. Oh God, Please focus. Okay. <laughs> when uh, when Shanahan went back to become the <laughs> Dang it! This is the first time that you've done this. I've done this several yeah, times. Yeah, usually you're breaking. <laughs> when Shanahan went back uh, to be the offensive coordinator of the Falcons in 15 to 16, Lafleur was there with him as well, again as the quarterbacks coach. And so McVeigh knows him through the Shanahan tree. Uh, and so Lafleur went to be with McVeigh 2017 with the Rams, and then from there, uh, Vrabel hired him, really re- uh, redesigning this offense from the exotic Smash Mouth. Uh, is so quoted. Uh, from Mike Munchak, may he never coach again in the NFL. <laughs> so what you're going to see uh, from the flood and from that offense the Titans put out is very similar to those Shanahan and McVay ideas that the Eagles saw against the Redskins for the longest time. Uh, one of the Eagles' main struggles against the Buccaneers and the Todd Monken offense, Mike, was working reduced splits. Yeah. And that's something you see at, I, I would say, even a higher click than the Rams under McVay and the the Niners under Shanahan. 100%, yeah. What you're seeing from reduced splits, uh, the the wide receivers, instead of being aligned outside of the numbers or further outside, we call those plus splits, reduced splits are lining up your outermost receivers like in the slot. So you got a ton of bunch formations, what we call nasty formations, which is two receivers both like right next to the tackle. A lot of stacks, right? One receiver right behind the other line of scrimmage. And you can run classic concepts. You saw Yankee, you saw Haas, you saw Levels. All very quickly, very early, these downfield ideas working intermediate crossers. But defenses are built to handle those out of more traditional style of wide receiver alignments. Out of these reduced alignments, the releases look different. There's more congestion. There's different reads. And it especially gives trouble Mike to cover three, which is what the Eagles like to run. Uh, And and so I really like the way this offense is designed to make easy 
simple choices that cause big problems for defenses. Like that's the smart aspect of it. Right. It's not like we're doing crazy things to cause problems. We're doing very easy things. Just reduce splits. It's not hard. But in doing so, we cause problems for defenses because they have to change the way they read pre-snap and at the snap the way the, the receivers come off the off the field and off the line. So uh, I think this this offense is very well built. It's very well designed. Now, whether or not they have the personnel to execute some of these things, I'm sure we'll get into it. I know you want to talk about the running game, so I'll let you get that rolling because I think that's where we got to talk personnel a little bit. But this offense's passing attack is designed, I think, to affect the Eagles cover three quite well. Uh, and I like I like the pass catchers they've got in Davis. Uh, uh, Taiwan Taylor's coming on nicely. Tajay Sharp is a good intermediate guy. My boy Johnu Smith getting himself some reps because Delaney Walker's on IR, so I like that a lot. I, this is a good offense uh, to to really test the Eagles' secondary. We'll see how that goes for them. Yeah, and before we get to the running game, I, I want to bring back up um, Mariota's legs, how he can threaten. And, and Jim Schwartz talked about it in his press conference. I talked about how you know he he, he sprints into his his boot actions, his waggles, and everything like that. So they they use a decent amount of play action. I wish they used a little bit more actually, but we'll see if we'll see if they do because if they can get his legs involved that that's an issue for the Eagles because as we talked about on the last show, uh, the Eagles have some problems with not freelancing their rush and they can get opened up a little bit by that type yeah, of yeah. thing. Yeah, and you also have to uh you have to respect the read option, which I I trust the Eagles defensive ends to stay disciplined with that more so than I would trust if Vinny Curry was out there because he was usually the one busting on those types of things when like we talked about on the last show when they've been on block Brandon Graham and, and Derek Barnett and you know Chris Long is a savvy veteran They've been very, very good. And Jacksonville didn't spy Mariota, and it bit them at times. And I'm not saying spy, but eyes to the backfield, zone defense, run blitzes at the quarterback in running situations, and mess with his option reads if that's what they want to try to do to us, bring numbers on the passing downs. You watch that Jaguars game, and you see the first nine plays with Gabbard in there, three sacks in nine plays. And the first two blitzes got home. When they got Malik Jackson on right guard, Josh Klein, who I think the Eagles can. That's the boy. Yeah, really, really work over. Clias Campbell came free on a stunt, and Gabbard simply panicked on in the pocket. So he had an opportunity, Gabbard did, on that play where he got killed to step up. He just crapped his pants, and it literally led to his murder. Jackson rocked him, uh, knocked him out of the game. He fumbles. Obviously, there's a flag for helmet to helmet because there is on every sack in the NFL. And next thing you know, Mariota is in the game after that one sack. But the offensive line, to me, as little pressure as they've given up to this point, you look at that interior and what the Eagles do and what the Eagles are good at, and they're very suspect. And right now, Mariota can't spin it like normal. If that doesn't improve, where he can't hit those deep outs, those corner routes that he throws really well and really pretty, the deep curls, if those aren't a threat, you're more worried about down the seams. And even then, until he shows he can threaten this defense in the deep portions of the field, I'm not concerned about it. If I'm Jim Schwartz. Listen, you brought up right guard Josh Klein. Yeah. The Eagles right guards that they have faced. Week one, uh, Levitre, good. In in Atlanta, we're fine. Week two, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Beninock. Caleb Beninock. Bad. Not great. <laughs> Week three, Indianapolis Colts. Matt Slauson. Not great. Bad. Week four, Josh Klein. Tennessee Titans. Might be the best of the three, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> not good i think right? the, i think here's the, the thing. i think the vitre is better but yeah i get your point <laughs> no i meant the best of the most recent three oh, no the okay. vitre is definitely oh yeah yeah no i was talking about the 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 the, the most the recent three i got you i got you i got you the interior is you got taylor Luan on the left and jack conklin on the right it's a good tackle duo uh you got your problems with Luan. you got your problems with conklin 
But when it comes to the NFL, you can't turn your nose up at that tackle duo. That's a good tackle duo. Oh, yeah. Now, their interior, Quentin Spain on the left, Ben Jones in the middle, Josh Klein on the right. That interior, Mike, that interior is built for exotic smash mouth. It is built to just run people over. Spain is a powerful dude. Klein's strength is his power. Ben Jones is a people mover for sure. When they try to run outside zone, which is a staple, right? If you're running the Shanahan system, you need it. Talk to me. Derrick Henry's just trying to race whatever interior defensive lineman got <laughs> through the center of the line, right? It's just he's got to – he's desperately – and you can you can pull off outside zone that way. Like that's done before. You know what I mean? Like uh, they'll, they'll run crack toss, right? Yeah. And the whole idea behind crack toss is like, listen, we're going to get the ball to the outside so quickly that don't even worry about blocking the interior guys. They don't really matter. They can't yeah. make this play. Like – we love how good Fletcher Cox is. He's not really making that play. If the Eagles are putting like Brandon Graham, Michael Bennett on the inside, eh, like those guys can move, right? Yeah. They're much lighter. But out, so outside zone, you can pull it off where if you block the front side real well, the backside pursuit from the interior defensive lineman doesn't matter as much, right? That's easier when you're running it out of shotgun, which is not what you see as much. You more so see out of under center, which is going to bring the, uh, it's going to delay the handoff a little bit. It's going to bring that running back a little bit closer to the line, which will make it easier for interior defensive linemen to get in there. Uh, but you can pull that off. They're going to need to uh, because Spain and Klein particularly, I like Ben Jones a little bit, Spain and Klein particularly lack the agility to get on their horse and regularly win reach blocks on outside zone. They weren't, they were, the offensive line's not built for this, right? And it's the first year of the system and it's a completely different system. So that's the reality, okay? Yeah. We talked very positively on the last podcast on, on Wednesday of the Eagles' backside pursuit from their defensive ends who are unblocked. Now, Tennessee, typically what you would call an outside zone, you can run outside zone open or closed, all right? Open outside zone is the backside tackle and the guard. They're going to climb up into the second level, depending on the defensive alignment, and they're going to leave that end unblocked. Right. And the idea is just, we're going to beat him in a race. Our running back's going to get to the spot before he does. Tennessee doesn't typically run there outside zone with that open blocking on the backside. They typically run it closed, which means that backside tackle is cut blocking that back defender, right? So the Eagles aren't going to get as much Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett backside pursuit as they're used to on these concepts because Tennessee closes the backside with the cut block. Those interior defensive linemen are going to have to run sideline to sideline Cox. Yeah. And then when Nada and Veo are in there, which is not a strength, Nada and Veo of this defense, right. they need to be able to pursue sideline to sideline and make plays from behind. Because otherwise, Tennessee is going to be able to get plus one on the front side in terms of blocking numbers, and they're going to be able to generate some running lanes. So interior defensive line, Cox, uh, Veo, and Nada being able to beat left guard Quentin Spain and right guard Josh Klein on outside zone is a huge storyline stepping in. If Tennessee can establish the run, like we, we know establishing the run isn't nearly as valuable, but like you said, they run it 66% of the time on first down. If they're picking up healthy yardage, we got ourselves a problem. And luckily, they haven't been able to do that so far, and then it's led to long third down situations. They're 22nd in the league on converting those third downs. Ben, my notes on this offensive line is really simple, and it's basically what you touched on. The tackles are fine. Ben Jones is a terrible athlete, but decent. Quentin Spain is a bad athlete. And Josh Klein is an average athlete, but he's not very good. So you try to run those things, man. It just it looks so ugly and discoordinated. And Derrick Henry is not built for zone, for outside zone. He's just he's just not. He's two hundred and forty plus pounds. You don't need to tell me. So here's my, are you a Derrick Henry truther? Yes or no? I don't know what that is. And here and here's my thing with the Derrick Henry thing. Okay, then just give me your take on him. <laughs> 
the the thing about uh, I don't feel like countering any narrative with with more bad narratives. I graded him in the offseason. I did a full evaluation of him five games and I graded his game. And he came out to be, I believe it was a 4.17, which in my scale is a low-end starter. A solid starter, but a low-end starter. A guy that you would eventually want to replace and a guy I would like them to replace with Deion Lewis. Because I feel that Deion Lewis does everything that Derrick Henry does and does it better other than finishing. And Deion Lewis is a super underrated finisher. So I would put mm-hmm. that more offense more on Deion Lewis and have Deion Lewis more there in in the early downs. But Derrick Henry, if you got him in a power scheme, fine. You give him a runway, let him build up that speed because he's got that long stride. I'm more comfortable with him there. You put him in a zone scheme and his value for me drops because it takes him forever to cut. And vision has never been his thing. And you're giving him three options That's to pick from. One. And he doesn't know where to go in this system yet. And you can see the wheels turning and the wheels start turning. The play speed drops. The play speed is already dropping because he can't turn. He can't hit those cuts. He's good running outside when he's going inside and bounces because he doesn't have to make a sharp cut. He can run that arc. Right. So I thought that people mm-hmm. were saying, oh, he all of his runs, all of his best runs come to the outside. It's not the same. His bounce in his That's zone, a big point. the way his mind works is a backside cut. And that takes forever for him to get to. Right. Well, he was so successful in Alabama. And what's Alabama doing? They're doing guard, tackle, counter, read. Right. right. So the whole thing is half the offensive line is going one direction. The other half of the offensive line is crossing, going the other direction. And a big alley opens up right up the middle. Right. Henry's typically running that out of the shotgun, right? And so he's getting the ball, and he's at a standstill, and he can go. Outside zone, he's working east-west first, and you're right. asking 240 pounds yeah. to change direction. This is, a lot of, <laughs> this is a lot of weight, man. That's too much. To, I mean, was it a good idea to have DeMarco Murray come here as a north-south runner and, and work him east-west? It's the same It's the same principle. It's failing for the same reason. He's averaging, what is he averaging? Less than four yards per carry. Is it something like 2.9? It's bad. Lewis the success rate is, is awful. 3.7. Yeah. And I feel like Henry is, I like, want to say like three flat. Yeah, I want to say 2.9. We got to look that up. I'm going to say two nine. I'm going to go. I'm going to find it, and you're going to be right. And I'm going to be pissed. They just run too much outside zone with him, and I don't know how that's going to be a fit long term. And it's a good thing they got Deion Lewis. They need to figure out that Lewis needs to get more reps. He's a better runner, and he's a better receiver out of the backfield. They need to get him involved in the screen game with this game. Even though Fletcher Cox will sniff those out real easy against an aggressive defense, you have to try something to get the offense going. Ben is three point oh average. Oh, no. Get this money. No. I was waiting nervously while I was talking through that, just trying to get to the point where we found out. Congratulations, Ben. You won our first Guess It game here on the Kiss and Soul yeah. show. How do you feel? The first impromptu, random, <laughs> over-under guessing bet thing that just inevitably happens as the show derails throughout the uh, throughout the recording. Uh, ben, how do we feel about 29th in the red zone for the, uh, for the Tennessee Titans? This team cannot score. I'm not surprised. I'll tell you why. <laughs> in between the 20s, space can win for you. You can generate space. And you can get to that first read once you get up against the 20s. And this is why when we talk about Doug Peterson, usually the first thing that I love to talk about is how he generates space in the red zone. Right. Because yep. to me, while he does so many things well and he deserves credit for so many things and aggressiveness, da, 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 my favorite thing about Peterson as an on-field coach is how he schemes the red zone. Preach. It is very hard to generate space in the red zone because the field ends. It just ends at the end line. This is the reality. You can't push any further back, right? This Titans offense comes to a screeching halt when they even get to like 
like the 30. Yeah. And they start to run out of space down the field. You know what I mean? They start, they, it feels like they start mentally setting up for a field goal, but that maybe that's more in my mind. But go ahead. What, <laughs> right. And they know they come short. I think when they, like a lot of teams, like 40 is a shot play territory. And mm. I think once they clear the 40 and they start getting into the 30, they start looking very flat heavy to me. Um, and they'll take single coverage shots. Which is kind of like, you know, like the, the 30 is that area. Like, I like that idea. Right. That's where you want to be taking those shots, right? All right, I've got single high coverage. I've got my best receiver one-on-one backside. I got, we just take this ball and we see if we can score right now. The problem is Corey Davis is not that receiver yet. Tajay Sharp never was that receiver. And Taewon Taylor isn't that receiver. And so they don't have the guy, right? You lose space in the red zone, so your personnel becomes more important. Zach Ertz just being a great leverage player becomes more important. Alshon Jeffrey being a great contested catch player becomes more important. Being able to uh, have quick hitting running plays that are getting north very quickly becomes more important. And this is not the Titans offense. So I, you know, like you said, uh, all three games under 20 points. I think that that stat lies to you about how good this offense is right but also doesn't even reveal the way that they struggle in the red zone you know what i mean like like yeah i don't know what their yardage totals are just uh in the nfl but i feel like they're much higher than that 29th red zone ranking that you that you dropped like i said i think it's i don't know if it's a mental thing with them it just seems like the the thing at the end of the the first half against the jaguars Mariota was slinging it Mary, all the short area stuff, the intermediate throws, Mariota was putting on the dime and, and people want to say they want to save Mariota and they, and they set up for a field goal there that they missed. Like I was legitimately upset about that. I'm not just, just trying to be hyperbolic and over the top. That's a dumb decision. And that's spineless to me. Go attack, go get some points before the half. That's how you lose football games. That's how the Jaguars lost to the Patriots. And it's funny that they were playing the Jaguars. But kneeling in that situation, something that I'm sure Eagles fans can understand with the way that we attack at the end of the half, that everyone should be able to stay and understand that's listening, that that's something that's got to be a mentality. It doesn't seem like they have that killer mentality when they get into opposing territory. They don't know how to manufacture that space like you talked about, as well as Doug Peterson, who I agree. It's one of his best qualities. So that's my major issue with this offense is right now they're so, they're so unstable at that quarterback position and it just it's rendered them impotent until that gets fixed until they show some mm-hmm. faith in, in Mariota or you know he gets the feeling back in his hand and he, and he looks better. I mean, I get that part of it. Trust me, I do. I get that part of it. But until they yeah, just yeah. change the mindset, I mean, you, you look at the weapons, the weapons aren't bad. Right. You did you uh did you did you see this Jetfish thing Sean McVay? Which one's that? All right, so Jetfish who was uh you know, uh, cor- uh at Michigan for a while, was quarterback's coach somewhere in the NFL, I think, and he was the interim head coach for Tennessee last year after they got rid of O'Hara is now the, like, basically, like, the football situational analysis coach oh. guy yeah. for Sean McVay. Right, 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 right. And his job is just to know when it's time to make good decisions and how to make them and what to do in different spots. When to be aggressive, yeah. We need to just get Lafleur one of those. Yeah, I Because Lafleur is great at everything. And I don't know, obviously, like, you know, Rabel's probably making a lot of situational calls as well. I don't think it's just Lafleur, But they need to get one of those guys and the entire league does. Listen, it's easy to play the traditional conservative way when you go up against in Jacksonville. You go up against Philadelphia and it ends up mattering. Yeah. You know, it's going to become very clear very quickly what's needed from you because Philadelphia is going to expose that because they are of the different mindset. So we'll see what, you know, if, if the, t- the Titans get put into one of those situations and they don't go for it, they don't take the opportunity and it comes up biting them in the butt. Yeah, I mean, when you're playing the Eagles, like, that's going to get talked about. 
So speaking of exposing, we've already said that the interior of the Eagles defensive line should expose the interior of the uh, Titans offensive line. We're talking Fletcher Cox and Michael Bennett going off as pass rushers. If the Eagles get an early lead, it might get a little bit ugly since the Titans can't pass downfield and you're going to let them pin it back and do all types of crazy stuff on the inside there. Sugar all those A-gaps, baby, because they have problems with, uh, with with identifying blitzes and picking them up with pass pro and, and, and adjustments. But what about how the Titans can expose this defense? Do you see any answers for the Titans at wide receiver or as far as their weapons go? Obviously, we talked about Deion Lewis just being an awesome receiving back, but you look at someone like Tajay Sharp against Ronald Darby, Corey Davis against Jalen Mills, and then in lieu of uh, Richard Matthews, you're probably going to see a lot of Taiwan Taylor against my man, Sidney Jones. Do any of those matchups stand out to you as a potential problem for the Philadelphia Eagles? No. I mean, I'd love to say, I'd love love to say, you know, Corey Corey Davis, Davis, the onset is coming uh, because I'm a big Corey guy. And he was a top five player for me in that class. Uh, very good young man, had to deal with injury in his first year, and that's always very, very difficult for a rookie. And then with wide receivers, uh, you know, it's always, it can be very hit or miss, even for those round one guys. And so I think Corey's coming along nicely. He had to deal with health issues again in training camp. You got to hope he stays healthy. Yeah. Listen, at this point, he is the highest uh, snaps per game weapon for the Tennessee Titans. Uh, you know, he's, he, I mean, he's out snapping Marcus Mariota, if you will, uh, but he's also out snapping, you know, like, uh, <laughs> Deion Lewis and, and Derrick Henry and what have you. And he's getting targeted on 15% of his snaps. That also is right up there. The only person above that is Delaney Walker, who obviously went down. Uh, and so he wouldn't necessarily have that high of a number otherwise. So Davis is the guy who gets fed. Uh, you know, if you're going to get him on Mills, I think Davis will win some of those reps. But I don't think he's yet that receiver to cause those problems. Over, under on points for the Tennessee Titans. Will they finally crack and go beyond the 20-point ceiling that has been so daunting to them to this point? I don't think so. Vegas doesn't think so. Vegas currently has a line set around a 42-point total, and it's Philly as a four-point favorite. So that's given uh, the Titans 19 points. They believe in the right? splits. So right on the line. <laughs> right, right on the line. They're giving them 19 points on that line. Listen, we're talking about a Philadelphia defense that, while it's worse on the road, is, uh, I would say, comparable to the Jacksonville defense they faced, uh, which the Titans scored six points against. So, I mean, obviously a healthier Mariota helps. Jack Conklin uh, gives him a little bit more time in the pocket. Not that Mariota is not a great pocket maneuver because he is. I don't see a ton of firepower for this team. I also don't see uh, defense or special teams in my curse reviewing that's going to be able to, you know, like give them the field position the Colts got. As long as the Eagles aren't shooting themselves in the foot, you're not going to see nearly as many short fields in that regard. So, uh, no, this does not screen. Like, it's a two and one Tennessee team. The defense seems to be playing well. I'm excited yeah. to get into that tape. I am not, uh, I really like the design of the offense, but as I said, I don't think they can score. And also, I think that Philadelphia's interior defensive line is going to be very disruptive. So, uh, no, I'm going under 20 on the total for the Titans. For as critical as I am of the Tennessee Titans offense, I feel like I'm going to be much more pleasant tomorrow when we talk about the Tennessee Titans defense because they're actually good. So, Ben, I think that does it for today. I'm taking the under, by the way, on the 20 points. I don't know if I made that obvious over the last 40 minutes. Always wait until I get my analysis and then you figure it out. Yeah. Ben, say goodbye to the gentle listeners. Let them know what we have on tap for tomorrow. We've only alluded to it about, I don't know, 17 times in the the show already. But Mm -hmm. let them know where to go and rate, review, and leave funny reviews about that that slander. Ben, Ben, I don't know if you know this, but there is a commentator on BleedingGreenNation.com. Have you seen him yet? Because you'll know it right away. 
if if you were to see I haven't it. been reading the comments too much recently. Okay. That's probably a good idea. But <laughs> Uh-oh. Do I have an, do I have an enemy? Do I have a detractor? I believe that I have incited someone to in every article of at least mine and possibly yours, if you see a gif of perhaps an animal or or something to that effect, uh, taking a big dump on a picture of you in the comments of bleedinggreennation.com, I just want to let you what? know that I had absolutely nothing at all to do with that. Let me find this. Why don't you pull up those iTunes reviews, see if we can find some funny ones, but I really want to... I really want to do this here. Let me shut this guy out. I feel like like 100% this is your fault for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there he is. Okay. This one is a rhinoceros taking a poop, and it looks like it's pooping on your head. Nice picture of you out on your lawn. And that is Gingerbeard11, the commentator Gingerbeard11. Shout out to you. You finally did it. You've done about five or six of these for me, probably more, because I haven't looked in the comments section for the other articles. But shout out. Gingerbeard11, you're the man. Keep slandering, Ben. Uh, ben, if you look in my uh, red zone uh, uh, concept one, the the offensive one with the Dallas uh, Goddard touchdown, I think that's where it started in the comments there. So okay. I, as always, Ben slander is absolutely welcome. And uh, Ben, do you have? Did you find? Oh, I think there's more slander in the iTunes reviews too. I think you got a bad review, Ben. What? Yeah, dude. How did a- you not tell? Me? Why are you breaking this to me all on air? My heart is hurting. Um. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I got a uh, yeah, I got a three star from K Slates. Uh, it says hard to listen to Solak. Seems to be a know it all and always says you know what I mean, which I one hundred percent do. And I also hate that about myself, K Slates. I hate hearing it. Uh, you know, it you know what's funny as as we do these, I develop different verbal tics like each month. I'll get rid of the uh, but I'll throw in a you know, like on the on the recap mm-hmm. show. I hit, I probably hit like 15 you knows. Just and I've never done that before. But I I work so hard to get rid of those verbal tics and not say the same thing all the time, like absolutely, which I do all the time. I work so hard to do those that other ones just slip in and it's and it's very hard. And if you listen to other people do podcasts in this type of forum, you'll realize that other people do a lot worse than us. But thank you for the uh review, you know what I mean? No. I got love for that. And and <laughs> listen, shout out to no, shout out to K K Slates who says, uh, we'll listen to other shows and those are five stars. That's the right way to do it. You know what I mean? Like you don't yeah. have to like everybody, but like we we got a lot of different content, a lot of different ways. So this isn't for you. And I mean, I find my voice more annoying than probably everybody else who listens. <laughs> so like no, shout out K Slates and I'm gonna do my best. I gotta I gotta spend more conscious time on those uh, verbal ticks. But let's see what else we've got. Right, so there was the uh, Kiss and Batman show, five stars, great insight from Batman because of Mike's current BGN. The theory, conspiracy your theory that about your bad day eight years ago, your parents were killed outside of a cinema yeah. in a bad alley. D Smith ninety nine twenty two says the number one podcast uh, for the number one team in the NFL. That's the Eagles because they won the Super Bowl, which Correct. is an always helpful reminder. Good take. Kiss and Solak are the cream of the football analysis Ooh. crop. What's up? Uh, with the exception of Solak's bad Barnett takes, take that L, buddy. And then uh, BLG is the king. And of course, BLG, may he, uh, may live, he on live on eternally, glory, is indeed the king. Uh, Kiss and Solak are so money. Uh, it's causing podcast inflation. What's podcast inflation? I didn't inflation? see this one. Podcast inflation? This is September 7th. It's causing we, podcast inflation. We're moving the, we're, we're shifting the whole market with podcasts yeah exactly the bubbles they're gonna tell stories about the kissed and solak effect you know in podcast (laughs) economics classes in 2020 uh 2000 
218, whatever year. Uh, if you're tired of listening to sports radio shows hosted by glorified cheerleaders, then fear not, gentle listener. This is the podcast for you. Oh, it's, it's the Dr. Acula, by the way, which I respect. Uh, if you're looking for in-depth, mostly rational analysis, then this is a podcast you can't miss. Whether it's Michael Kist and Benjamin Solak, when he's not raving about Donnell Pumphrey, man, I don't rave. It's, it's going to be hard to watch that stink off yet. Or the legendary BLG, May, May He Forever, forever rise, rise and Conquer the Earth. And John Stolness, you're in good hands. Uh, you're in good hands. Six out of five stars. We all we got. We all we need. Fly Eagles. Fly. I like that one. Uh, let's see. Wait. Let's find a good funny one. Oh, well, this one says BGN crew. Every day is a good day with these guys, which is true. <laughs> Matt and Raleigh. Every day nice. is a good day. Like, I, I disagree with every day being a good day, but, yeah. you know, I'm having a good day right now, so I'll allow it. I don't necessarily think we have as many jokey jokes ones, except, like, obviously the one that called, uh, that said they didn't like me was a joke, but the other ones are all serious. Oh, this one says that we both need raises. That one probably is also a joke. Oh, dope. Yeah. Hey, guys, you got to start leaving your Twitter handles in these so that we can shout you out on Twitter, too. We'll read your review on the show, and we're also going to throw your Twitter handle. We're going to give you a shout out on the timeline from the BGN Radio account. Make sure you're following at BGN underscore radio, of course. All right. Last one. Stellar film review from Wanto to Gay. Yeah, okay. Uh, this is the best, most entertaining, least BS, most genuine fi- team film review I've heard in 20 years of following the birds. A lot of people say a lot of words without saying anything interesting or genuine. Kiss mm. and Solak are not hacks like mm. so many others are. Mike, mm. shout out us not being hacks. Mm, preach. That's the type of reviews that we love. As always, uh, yeah, we are at Bleeding Green Nation, uh, SB Nation on iTunes. There are currently 444 ratings mike 442 of which are five star ratings because y'all are just so fantastic so please uh, go ahead and drop those in i have heard a rumor mike that if we make it to 500 before the vikings game the Mm. eagles will not lose a single game for the rest of the season all right sources say that this is the agreement yes that the devil has struck with doug peterson i don't know whoever's in charge of these things whoever you make these shady alley deals uh, yeah. Oh, cute. Uh, so 56 reviews away from 500. That would mean the world and a half to us. Thank you so very much. As always, this has been the Kist and Solak Show. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Tomorrow is indeed Eagles defense, Titans offense, similar takes, Reverse similar it. tomfoolery. Reverse it. Did I get it wrong? Yeah. Dang it. Tough show for you. I have to choose if I switch offense and defense or if I switch Eagles and Titans. I know. It's really frustrating, and I like seeing you go through it. Eagles, offense, Titans, defense, it's coming tomorrow, and it's going to be a good time. Obviously, we're going to go through the film, and we're going to have our takes, and then we're going to be giving you our score predictions and our bets and so on and so forth. Uh, make sure you're following, of course, BleedingGreenNation.com for all of our written analysis as well. Thanks for listening, guys. Excited to talk to you tomorrow. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Maybe I'll do forever in peace. Hey guys, this is John Stolness from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was... Well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to the Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. 
Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.